to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Don't get caught up thinking about winning or losing this game. If you put your effort and concentration into playing to your potential to be the best that you can be, I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're going to be winners. Okay? Welcome aboard, everybody. Hope everyone had a happy holidays. And we're going to do something a little bit different for this show. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. I brought in our longtime friend of the show, Greg Lucas, longtime broadcaster, doing Astros and Rockets games and just about anything you else you can think of over the years. But uh, he also loves movies like I do. And we thought we'd do top 10 movies, our top 10 sports movies of all time and greg uh great to have you for this one and you know this is you know this is a tough list for a lot of us that are sports fans just trying to figure out how we narrow it down to 10 movies but i, I figured this would be kind of fun a little, a little bit different than our usual show well it it will be and it is very very difficult obviously we have our prejudices but i look at this list i came up with like 22 options uh, minimum for baseball movies, 13 for football movies and, you know, and, and other sports, too. And boy, it's really rough. When we do these, we're doing our 10 and we're trying to pick like our favorites. But if they're on the list, that, that means we love them <laughs> and they, they could be in any sort of order. Also, I think what was difficult was w- which ones I was going to leave out because it seems like there's not a ton of sports movies uh, on a yearly basis. But then when you look back in, in the history of film, uh, there's some great ones, and uh, you know I, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, Greg, that you know I, I'm sappy. I'm going to go with the sappy movie over the one that's maybe the most realistic of all. But I, I love just the the real stories that tug at your heart, and and that's that's what my list is going to consist of. I got some some humor, but I, the humor is basically because it's trying to kind of show what it was like and exaggerate. But so so I've got some of those, but uh, it'll be interesting to compare the lists. We're going to start off with uh, 10 and we're going to work our way to number one. And we might have some that uh, are on the same. I haven't even looked at Greg's list and Greg hasn't looked at mine. So this can be kind of fun. What's number 10 on your list? Number 10 is definitely a comedy. It definitely is as far as I'm concerned. And I know it's not the only hockey movie ever made, but it's the only one who counts. And number 10 is Slapshot. I want to win that championship tonight, but I want to win it clean. Old-time hockey. Like when I got started, you know? Paul Newman. Paul Newman, the Hanson brothers. Life in a minor league hockey situation. And the, the one thing that I liked about it, obviously everything's exaggerated. He's got a love interest in, that comes and goes, and that's part of the story. But what I liked about it was that there are so many minor league hockey uh, leagues that we don't even realize. I, a few years ago, I counted how many hockey teams played in the state of Texas. It was an incredibly high number that no one – I think it was in the teens. I mean, Austin had a team. Waco had a team. Uh, Houston had a minor league team at the time. Uh, Lubbock. They were playing minor league hockey, and uh, you wouldn't think of that, in, particularly in this state or warm climates. But uh, it's on the minor league level, which is what Slapshot is, it was had to be on my list, even though it's uh, not a sport that I follow that closely. Yeah, it's not one of my sports either. And, you know, I, I hate to say this, but I, I think I started watching Slapshot one time, and I got maybe 30 or 40 minutes into it. And I was just, it wasn't grabbing me for whatever reason. And, and I love Paul Newman. And uh, I'm going to mention his name because he's been in a couple of sports movies mm-hmm. over the years. I'll mention him later. But it's funny you mentioned 
that there, there's only one hockey movie, but my number 10 is a hockey, hockey movie, but I've actually, I've kind of got these as uh, side-by-side movies that you need to watch both of them because they're both about the same subject. One is the 2004 film Miracle with Kurt Russell. Yes. And the other one is the 2001 HBO documentary about the Miracle on Ice. It was called Do You Believe in Miracles? The Story of the 1980 U.S. Hockey Team. And the reason this movie, these movies I think I I love this is because the Miracle on Ice happened when I was eight years old. So it's one of those indelible memories when I was a kid and and watching that and, and just thinking, you know, this is just the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And I probably still, even at that time, couldn't maybe comprehend what was so special. And sometimes you just have to go back and watch this HBO documentary to remind you that, Greg, that this this story was so remarkable because, you know, the Russians had won, you know, it was like 100 out of 101 or 100 and something out of whatever. And they were the equivalent of the dream team that had been together for 10 years. Yes, that, no question. I, I, I'll bet you I got you on that one, though, because you had to watch it on tape delay. I watched it live. I was working in Buffalo at the time, and you get the Canadian Toronto stations with your antennas, and they were showing it live. Uh, it was being played right down the state over over east in the state at Lake Placid, but it was on ABC, and ABC was delaying everything to prime time. And so I actually got to see the actual uh, game live. And, and of Buffalo's course, not far from Lake Placid, right? Well, not, you know, two or 300 miles. But Toronto's even closer. Toronto's 90 miles by car, and as the crow flies across the lake, it's even closer. And they had it on television, on uh, the CBC. And so I actually got to see it. And this is hockey country, Buffalo. Let me tell you there. That's where I was exposed. I was there for a year and a half, but two hockey seasons. And that's why I did get to really enjoying the sport, but in person. I was going to home games and, and covering them for the radio station I was a sports director for and came into it having no exposure to hockey except maybe seeing them on TV a little bit back in the 50s. But I, I really got hooked. At the same time, when I left, it was an easy cold turkey separation. You know, that's kind of funny how that worked out with hockey. But Miracle on Ice would have been a good one. Also, I, I, I was being flippant when I said the only movie ever made. Only movie ever made that really grabbed me was Slapshot. Miracle on Ice was a very good movie, and I have, I have seen it more than once. But they also made all these comedy movies like The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty and they Ducks, had yeah. uh, Midnight Canada or whatever is where they little town in Canada that brings a professional team to play the local team. So there have been other hockey movies, but... Uh, to me, I had to have Slapshot as my number 10. It's funny because, you know, I, I was a kid and, and it was a different gener- – there wasn't internet or anything like that. And as a kid, I watched it probably not even knowing that it was tape delayed. And, and to me, it was it was live if, I, if I'm remembering it all correctly. Well, in those days, yeah, in those days, the TV sports guys wouldn't tell you, especially if you're watching an ABC network affiliate. They wouldn't tell you what the score was or anything that happened earlier in the day if the network was going to televise it live. So – and, and people went out of their way to make sure they don't turn on the radio, don't tell me, I don't want to know, like people do now when they DVR games and they talk to somebody. Don't tell me what the score was that the Rockets were going to win the game. Uh, don't tell me. That's an inside joke. But, I mean, <laughs> the college kids doing this, it's just, you know, I think back on it and it's the equivalent of if another country that wasn't really big into – basketball got together a bunch of college kids and they were hosting the Olympics and they beat the dream team or something, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's the equivalent that's, is the equivalent. You're right. And, and not only that, I mean, 
even as a kid, I think I recognized the significance of this as a global thing, because, you know, if you watch this documentary, you know, it, it will explain it to you if you're too young to have been around for this. But I mean, the the country was at a very bad time. You had uh, the gas price wars. There, there was this uh, major Soviet versus the United States. There was the uh, Cold War going on as a kid. You know, I'm getting under my desk when we're having nuclear drills and stuff like that. So you felt it deeply what was going on between, you know, the Soviet Union and they were absolutely the enemy. They were the prototype of the enemy. These, you know, these qu quiet guys that talk, you felt like robots and that's what you would see on television. And that's kind of the way these hockey guys were portrayed, the Soviet hockey team. And then, you know, you've got the, uh, you know, the country's also down because every day on the news, we have the, uh, Iran hostage situation on nightline. I remember growing up watching that and that's happening at that time. So the country, is just, you know, they are dying for something to make them feel like America is the place to be. And, is, you know, the patriotism at that time was maybe at a lull, you know, because the, where the country was. And this hockey team comes along and these guys just do something that, you know, it's even now it's hard to conceive of what they were able to do there. And, you know, Mike Ruzioni and uh, Jim Craig. And I mean, they were just these great stories. I mean, Mike Ruzioni was the captain of the team that the, the, at the gold medal game they he motions all the guys to come over onto the onto the platform after the national anthem is over and they all jump on the platform at the same time the whole team is on the gold medal platform and mike ruzioni would never play another hockey game after that no. and he had he had banged around he was not directly out of college he'd been banging around and and uh her brooks liked him as a as young as he was, as a senior guy on that very young team and kind of held them together. No, that was a great uh, – of course, the Russian game was the semifinal. Then they still had to win one more, but they did. And that was uh, that was a great moment. I don't think there's any question about that. And I remember the guys that did join the National Hockey League. As I said, I was covering the games. The Sabres had one, whose name escapes me, but they joined the team. And then, uh, of course uh, – uh, Craig uh, gave it a shot as a goalie with Atlanta, and he never really had much of a career. In fact, none of them really had. Well, Lindy Ruff did. Lindy Ruff ended up being a coach. But there were there were a lot of guys that were uh, – that was their moment in life, and it was a big moment that we all remember. Seven seconds. You've got ten seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! I still get choked up every time I – watch the last few seconds of it and now Michael's I mean it still gets me to this day I can go watch the the third period and it's just uh it's incredible stuff uh let me go to the next one what's number nine on your list number nine on my list is it let's see did I change it yes I did I changed it and I hate that I hated to do that because I had to put some other sports in here and it's glory road I hate to do that because I was in it but uh, glory road which was the the story of the Texas uh, El Paso or uh, Texas Western at the time uh, basketball team that won the 1966 NCAA tournament over all-white Kentucky, heavily favored all-white Kentucky, even though both teams were in the top 10 in the rankings and were very solid. But Texas Western, of course, in that particular game, the coach played nothing but his black players. There were some white players on the Texas El Paso team, Texas Western team, but uh, he was trying to make a point. Uh, against Kentucky coach, and it... Uh, 
Adolf Rupp, yeah. Adolf Rupp, yeah, and it uh, it worked. Right now, it's not about talent. It's about heart. It's about who can go out there and play the hardest, who can go out there and play the smartest. The only problem with the movie was that, like they do with a lot of historical movies, they had to condense a lot of things that really, I mean, it was a true story, but some of the incidents that happened did not happen all in one year. And they made it sound like this team came from nothing. They went and started out and they became the champions at the end of that year. And that's not the way it worked. They, it, it took a period of time. Also, they were very highly respected nationally by that year, which was basically a senior year for most of the guys. But even so, uh, some of the incidents that took place, racial incidents, did happen. They did not all happen in the same year. They were widely spaced. But the fact that they did happen proved the point. And I think those of us who uh, understand that movies do have to fudge the tooth a little bit to either make it in time or to make it more dramatic – uh, we'll set that aside. It was that was my number nine, Glory Road. Yeah, we're gonna get to some more sports movies. There, sports movies taken from real life that they they definitely had to to change some things. But uh, how did you end up in the movie? How did that happen? I'm a member of the American Sportscasters Association, and uh, the producers of the movie were looking for somewhat regionally based people to be sports announcers that were sports announcers. The reason I say regionally based, we're not talking about El Paso. We're talking about New Orleans because that's where they were filming a lot of the movie. They filmed it at both University of New Orleans. I think that's where they did the so-called finals. And then the home court for the minors was actually a high school gym in Chalmette, which is a suburb of New Orleans. And that's where I was. American Sportscasting Association head guy called me and said, are you interested? And he said, well, here's what you got to do. Just do a tape. They'll send you a, a couple of lines from the movie. Do a tape at home. Send it to these people, and then they'll decide what they're going to do. Well, they called me back and they said, "Yeah, that's great. Uh, here's what you know. We we want to use you, and so on and so forth." So then I got some paperwork and information as to how to fly. You know, fly over to New Orleans, uh, and you know they're paying for all of this, and uh, we'll put you up in a hotel, paying for it. Uh, you'll get uh, per diem, and you'll get. Uh, it was actually the minimum Screen Actors Guild wage. I wasn't in the union yet, but they had to pay the Screen Actors Guild wage. I was amazed. I mean, I, I had two lines. We had two sets of lines, only one of which actually made the final movie. And the partner that I was working with, all of his lines were cut. But he got a credit, but he all he did was sit there and listen to me say my little lines. We were there for about four days Three of the days we were just watching. We were on the sideline like we we're sportscasters because we were in the background of all the action shots and watching them shoot how the action shots were put together was amazing with the steady cams and the choreography. And then it's all blended together into one. It looks like they never, you know, never stopped. It came together well. And then we came back. We had to come back on a Monday to do the actual lines. So that involved staying over the weekend, which is extra time. And it was overtime and, uh, you know, I still get residual checks of fifteen, sixteen dollars every oh, three or four times a year, and I calculated that I probably earned altogether five figures for a tiny little piece. Wow! Uh, because of the overtime, mostly the overtime. Directed by a guy named James Gartner, who I've never heard of. Well, he was originally a commercial director, uh, and he got the job from uh, the well-known producer. Um, Jerry Bruckheimer. Jerry Bruckheimer. Bruck, I, I don't think Bruckheimer was there during the five during, during the week that I was working. Did you get to meet any of the stars? It's Josh Lucas, Derek Luke, John Voigt, the great John Voigt. So John Voigt was there uh, 
No, wait a minute. He was not there. He was not shooting any of his stuff there. He wasn't there. Uh, the uh, Josh Lucas was there, and I got to ride in the truck with the guy that played the assistant coach, Red. Uh, he was uh, he was a former uh, bodyguard of Elvis, and I can't remember his last name offhand. Oh, you got his me on this name one. Was Red. He was, I'm, he was, I'm not going to be able to help you there. He was Elvis's bodyguard, <laughs> and he had some stories because he was in the same van that I was when they picked us up at the hotel to go to the set. Also, the lady who played the wife of the coach, she was on there too. And she, I remember, the one thing I remember is during the time I was filming, her t- whole time she was sitting up in the stands, like watching the game. And she had to have the two kids, their two children with her. And she said, it seems like every movie I shoot, I'm sitting around and with, I've got kids. She's not married and she was uh, in real life. And she basically was babysitting those two youngsters in the, in the stands for four days. I don't know how many shots they took of her. But she had to be there because that was that was part of the movie. Emily Deschanel. Yeah, would... yeah. Her bro, her sister's famous, Zoe. Deschanel. Yeah, Zoe That's Deschanel. Yeah, uh, she was the one, and she. Uh, but we we had some conversation with her, and I'm just this sportscaster. But it was fun because they treated us as as featured actors. Uh, well, we were. It's just that our acting part was very very small. Uh, but we had a trailer. We got to eat with the, on the china with the regular people. The, big people and then of course the extras and the background actors are all back in the over in the corner eating off paper plates and and going to a giant warehouse every day to get their clothes and ours were all fitted before we went to the actual set and they were cleaned every day and stuck in your trailer and then uh, you went to the makeup place and they'd Every day they would cut a snip off your hair. You had to look exactly the same. Nobody's going to notice this. But every day, and they'd, and they'd look at pictures to make sure they were matching exactly right. I mean, uh, you know, they, very the detail was amazing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think that's that, that's that's and you know, it's I haven't seen that movie. It's one of my blind spots, and we're, I'm going to go over at the end maybe some of the movies that. I should have seen sports movies that aren't in there, but it's tough because between me and Greg, we're not going to have seen everything. So you're going to say, oh, well, why, do you, why didn't you guys mention this movie or that movie? Well, that's true. I mean, and, and you'll see or Merle Harmon, the late Merle Harmon is in that movie. Uh, he, he's the, uh, he said, he told me, he said, it's the only time I've been an analyst in my entire life. His role was as the analyst in the final uh, finals. And that's the only time he'd ever been an analyst. He'd always been a lead announcer. He was in it. The longtime uh, hockey guy with the, the Dallas Stars was in it. The guy that you see around town here, E.J. Nolan, who does a lot of audio, he played. He had the part of the uh, Texas El Paso, Texas Western, to be more precise in this movie, radio announcer. And he had quite a bit of uh, work in the movie. So there are people that you may recognize having had seen before when you finally see it. But I can guarantee you it'll show up. Uh, before basketball season's over, because that's one of the reasons I keep getting residual checks. It, some TV stations pick it up. It's seasonal. It's a seasonal sport game, and it, it shows up. So you'll have a chance. All right, I'm going to see that one of these days. My next one, hey, this is a classic, Field of Dreams. Go the distance. Written and directed by Phil Alden Robinson, who won the Oscar for his screenplay for this movie, of course, the incredible cast. You got Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Burt Lancaster, Ray Liotta, as Shoeless Joe Jackson. This was just one year before he would become a star in Goodfellas. Even Matt Damon and Ben Affleck were extras in the Fenway Park scene. But don't don't look for him because you won't see him when you watch the film. You can't see him in that movie. But they were in it. And, you know, uh, Greg, my, my, my big memory, uh, one of my big memories of this uh, film 
I had a chance right after college, I was doing a job trip and I was looking for jobs in television stations. And I went through Indiana and Illinois and Iowa and looking at various stations. And I, I, I just happened to be July 4th weekend. I'm in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I thought, well, I'm going to go up to Dyersville. And on July 4th on Independence Day, I go to Dyersville, Iowa to see the field where uh, it was, or at least the house was there for sure. The house uh, that they shot at, that was uh, in Dyersville. And you could just, they had it, they had it set up. They had the field set up. You could walk out on the field. Anybody could walk. It was free, believe it or not. It was like something that you could do for free. And they had, they had a little souvenir shop by the side. I don't know what the situation is with it right now. But the, the cool thing was, first of all, I'm sitting there and I see this family, almost like this Walton's family, walk out on the field and they start playing a, a game as I'm sitting in the bleachers where James Earl Jones sat, I guess, or wherever. And then the family leaves and now, and, and this is going on at sunset and it's beautiful. You've got the, you know, you got the, the wheat field behind you and, and all of that sort of stuff for cornfield. And then just as it's, the sun is setting, they leave and you see all these cars approaching. Like if you build it, they will. Come. There's a line like, of cars yeah. coming down the road, and and out out steps all all these guys that they're wearing baseball. And I can swear they were like old old school base type baseball uniforms. Um, you know, not like old White Sox, I'm sure, but it was just old baseball uniform. They get out, and it was I think it was an American Legion team or something like that. And they just start walking around the field and looking around. Their guys are going into the wheat with their baseball uniforms on. I mean, it it was it was amazing. It was like one of the more incredible, surreal moments. And of course, at that time, not, you know, you didn't have cell phone cameras or what. I mean, I didn't have a camera or anything with me when I was there. And I wish I had gotten pictures of all that because to, to this day, it's like, did, did that really happen? But I, I love that movie. I won't talk about it too much because, well, yeah, I will. Because I won't have to want to. I talk about it later because I, I actually have it on my list, but I have it higher. It was a movie that uh, fathers and sons related to. Some women didn't quite get it, but it was a uh, so it was deep. It was one of those emotional type movies with a baseball setting. I, I, I thought it was outstanding. I agree. I, I thought it was an outstanding film. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has ruled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, it's a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good and it could be again. The one thing that I think of when I watch the movie is that, you know, this is none of this is makes any sort of sense. You, you when you're watching a movie, if you like realism, it, it's, it feels like it's, it's a total fantasy movie, even though what was cool is they incorporated Archibald Moonlight Graham, Burt yes, Lancaster's yes. character. And it's based on a, a real player, same name. They took some factual liberties, but most of it's true. The real Graham's lone major league game, though, was in. Uh, June of two, 1905, not the final day of the 1922 season. He died in 65, not 72, like they said in the film. But Terrence Mann, in interviews, he talked to a couple of people about Graham. And, and he, he said that in the DVD that the facts that they gave him, uh, in other words, the facts they gave Moonlight Graham were taken from articles written about the real guy. So well, they, and, it was and real. The James Earl Jones' character was also based on a real person, the author that was... Uh, Terrence Mann. Terrence yeah. Mann, yeah, that was... Uh, reclusive 
yeah, they, they, it was very creative. It was a very good job. The original script and the original concept was very well done, and then they turned it into a nice movie. And I just watched it a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I, I kind of jumped in in the middle. It's one of those movies you start, you can jump in. It's replaying right now. It seems like a lot on Showtime. It still gets me at the end. I'm still, I still get choked up at the end. I just, like you said, it just, it, it hits you. Uh, even, you know, even if you don't have like an, any sort of father son thing, I, I think it's still kind of grabs you what what's uh we're at number eight on your list what's number eight number eight is a movie that a lot of people didn't see but it's based on the a true incident and it's million dollar arm that is the movie uh where the pittsburgh pirates actually scouted india they were trying to find raw talent originally they were looking for cricket players that you know the the bowlers that had strong arms uh, but eventually they had to they open it up to any athletes and they actually found two guys and one of whom lasted in uh in professional baseball in fact it's possible he's still in the pirate farm system because this movie was was not that old and it starred the gentleman that uh was uh from madman yes john ham yes and john ham uh fun fact for for, for you is uh University of Missouri graduate. He graduated the same year I did, so I, I might have seen him walking around campus and didn't know at the time. Might have. He was, but he was the guy that went over to India and the trials and tribulations of discovering these two guys and then giving them a shot in the major leagues. And because it was based on really a true situation, again, they have a love interest that's been thrown in there, but they always do. Uh, it's a way to get the women in these sports movies because you have to almost create a character. Uh, maybe someday that won't be the case because we're getting more and more women that are actually involved directly, not necessarily as players, but in front offices and management and media. But right now they still had to throw that in. They had to have a love interest in there. But other than that, it's it's a, uh, a very realistic and it's based on a true story. So it was my number eight. Yeah, good cast along with John Hamm. The great Alan Arkin is in it. Uh, Bill Paxton, the late great Bill Paxton's in the movie. Uh, Asaf Manvi, who uh, some people might know him, uh, comedian. Some of you might know from The Daily Show. Uh, Lake Bell, the actress. So really good. I haven't seen it, though. It's, it's one of my blind spots. Haven't seen that one. My number eight movie, though. I hope everybody's seen this one by now, but maybe not the original Bad News Bears, 1976. I don't know. Is this is this on your list? It's not on my list, but I, I remember seeing the movie, absolutely, and, and, and the sequels and stuff. But, yes, the, the original Bad News Bears with Walter Matthau was a classic movie. They, they, they did a lot of things that upset. As I recall, at the time, uh, the movie upset a lot of people because they wanted to take their kids to see it, and they were not sure about that character that Walter Matthau played was what they should be seeing. Because uh, it's really an adult movie. What, what any of the kids were doing on the- Well, any of them. But Walter was the worst example because he was actually the coach, drinking beer and doing all this stuff. Yeah, he and, gave and, the kids – he would give the kids beer. And- yeah, I mean, he – it was – but that it was an adult movie. But what happens is a lot of times parents don't know that and they take their kid – to see it and they don't know what they're they're showing i was five i know i saw this as a kid and didn't affect me i mean didn't change my life well a lot of people it wouldn't but there are some people as we know in this ultra sensitive (laughs) world that would be offended others would say hey it's just a movie and the rest of you what's the matter with you all season long you've been laughed at crapped on now you got a chance to spit it back in their faces and what do you do you're out there like a bunch of dead fish, not listening. Bonehead plays, mistakes. 
Honey, don't you want to beat those bastards? Yeah, I just rewatched it recently. Of course, it's starring Walter Matthau, the the brilliant Walter Matthau, Tatum O'Neill, uh, Vic Morrow, uh, and Jackie Earl Haley as Kelly Leak. And you know that one of the m- most memorable characters was you know Kelly Leak is the cool guy when you were a kid. You're like, yeah, that's the guy you want to be because he's riding around on the motorcycle and he looks all cool. But as a kid, you you know you you kind of fall in love with Tatum O'Neill because uh, she was couldn't be more cute in that movie i rewatched it just recently and it still works but greg i mean today the the political incorrectness of this movie oh, yeah. is no, just I mean, a, a, I mean the, the what the kids would call each other but it's it's it was truthful now, I mean, that's, now that's when what i was a kid nobody talked like that but i'm not so sure that maybe that may have been realistic uh, you know generations later i do remember though that kelly leak became one of jim deshay's favorite references yeah because he would use it anytime there was a play in which one of the outfielders went way over in the other guy's territory to catch a ball he said kelly leaked him now you had to know that you'd know the movie what he was talking about but as you know kelly leak in the movie caught everything he didn't care whether it was a shortstop's ball left fielder's ball he caught it and that was the reference and you had but you had to know bad news bears to know what jim was talking about but he was good at uh at uh, references from movies and TV series, Seinfeld, of course, he was wonderful with. And uh, but I'm sure now he's got some new ones. Yeah, Kelly Leak became an actual phrase that was used to describe a guy that was going into <laughs> other people's territory to make plays. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, as a kid, you just relate to all the all these kids that you know the the ones that aren't good, the the non Kelly Leaks are the ones that yeah, yeah, that's me out there. Thanks. Nobody ever stuck up for me before. Well, Lupus, if you wiped your nose once in a while, people wouldn't give you so much crowd all the time. Also, really interesting fast fact, Jeff Luno, the day that he traded for Justin Verlander, this is in the book Astro Ball, he was at the field where they shot Bad News Bears giving a speech for his nephew's, his nephew, I guess, played there or something like that, uh, his little league team, so he's giving a speech to his nephew's team. Uh, so that that's pretty cool. A little fast fact about that. We talked about that with uh, Ben Ryder in uh, Astro Ball uh, earlier podcast from a few months ago. So we get into that whole story, but it's it's really funny. But in, what's your number? We're on number seven on the list. Seven. Seven is a classic old timer. Pride of the Yankees. The Lou Gehrig story. Gary uh, Cooper. Gary Cooper. Obviously, it was emotional, but it was also one of the movie hero type movies that really stuck pretty close to what really happened there there wasn't too much well he didn't have to he already had a wife and he was that was truly part of the story and that's probably of the historically related movies it may be the most accurate of most of them if all if not all of them because it was just uh that was how it happened i mean it wasn't like the babe ruth movies that were made that exaggerated tremendously or uh or or Again, we're talking about the ones like uh, Glory Road where they take stuff and scrunch it into one year when it really wasn't. No, this was uh, this was my number seven, and I would have ranked it higher, but there's so many good movies out there. People all say that I've had a bad break. But today, today I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And you can't have a better real life story than Lou Gehrig and the speech and 
where he says, I'm the luckiest man on the faith. I mean, that right there, you've got <laughs> you got that to start with as a movie, as your ending point. And a guy that's uh, dealing with ALS, which, of course, became uh, named after him years later. But, yeah, Gary Cooper, Teresa Wright, Walter Brennan star in that movie. I've seen it. Not on my list, but yeah, I remember it being a really good movie. At well, the time. it it uh, it was it truly was, and of course, it was played by a guy who had basically no athletic skills at all. They hit him pretty well. Uh, part of what they did is they they did some reversal shots when he was swinging a bat because he was right-handed, and he, there's no way in the world he could make a, a decent left-handed swing. So they basically reversed the reversed the foot. They gave him a uniform where the numbers worked. Uh, you know, kind of backwards. And then they had him bat right-handed, and then they reversed it so it looked like it was left-handed. That happened with several things. He Also he in was, The Natural, right, with Redford? Did they do, did they do that with him there? No, Redford was legit. They, the one that was really bad, and I don't have it on the list as one of my top ten, was uh, Fear Strikes Out. That was the Jimmy Pearsall story where Tony, Tony Perkins oh, yeah, was that, that awful hurt. as an athlete. I mean, yeah. he was awful. But uh, Redford was good, and, of course, Costner was good in all of his, his roles playing baseball because he could. Well, my number seven is pretty – it's an unusual movie because this was a movie that was a television movie. Brian's Song, 1971. I remember seeing this as a kid. It came – the movie came out in 71, the time I was born. But I guess it, it, it would be rerun. It had to be rerun because, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think I saw it on a VHS tape or, or whatever. But I do have a VHS tape of Brian's Song, and it's the real-life story. If people don't know about the friendship between Chicago Bears running backs, Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers. And what's so incredible about this when you look back is, I mean, how many TV movies you know, at that time had the staying power that it did? It was directed by a guy, Buzz Kulik, who mostly directed TV films, so not a big screen director, really. But it stars James Caan. And this was before he was Sonny Corleone, the Godfather, and Billy D. Williams before he was Lando Calrissian in the Star Wars franchise. And Greg, you can almost say this film launched both of their careers in a way. But I mean, obviously, the, the big things that launched their careers were after that. But this movie, you talk about one that'll get the tears flowing. I love Brian Piccolo. And I'd like all of you to love him, too. And tonight, hit your knees. Please ask God to love him. I mean, that movie just grabs you, and, and it's, it's just a, it, they do a great job of telling this story, and, and, they, and I think they got most of it absolutely right from what I understand. Well, I, I grew up as a Chicago Bear fan, and they were both there when I was watching on TV down in Indiana every, every Sunday. And so, yes, the story was, was amazingly well done, and I, I, I uh, of course, remember that one fondly. I, I had three no, I had four football movies on my preliminary list that I would have considered if we were doing 15. Uh, none of the football movies make my list, but Brian's song was top of it. Leatherheads was. Newt Rockney, Paper Lion, which I really liked. Jim Thorpe, All-American, and then Newt Rockney. I, don't, I didn't list the other movies that, uh, you know, like... You got a lot of old school stuff in that, in that list. I didn't list... You know, Water Boy. I didn't list that. I didn't list the youngest, either the longest yard, either first or second. Uh, there are too much fantasy. But Leatherheads was based on the founding of the National Football League. Newt Rockney, of course, was based on uh, his life. 
Rudy was a, a based on a true situation. Paper Lion was directly a true situation from the book. And Jim Thorpe All-American was. So you can see most of my football move. actually all of my choices on the football side, had I put one in my top ten, would have been the ones based on the truth. And Brian Song would have been number one. Yeah, also starring in Brian Song was the underrated actor. Just guys, just great. Jack Warden, he plays uh, Bears coach George Hallis, Shelley Fabre. Uh, plays Brian Piccolo's wife. She was famous for starring in the Donna Reed show and ironically enough would later actually play a football coach's wife in the TV show Coach. And also, you know, they got Hall of Famers Dick Butkus and Ed O'Bradovich uh, playing themselves in the film. And Butkus, of course, later became an actor. Yeah, and, and, and that movie just grabs me and I, I can't say enough about it. Uh, what's your number six on, on the list? Number six on the list is Mr. Baseball. That was the movie that starred Tom Selleck, and that was uh, that goes into that classification of the the Glory Road of the ones we've talked about so far, where they it's based on uh, true circumstances. Not that Mr. Baseball was a true player, but he was a conglomerate of a lot of Americans who uh, went to play baseball in Japan and had to adapt not only to the culture but also to the way they played the game differently. More practice. Uh, specific uh, reverence to the manager and the umpires and and things that he wasn't used to. Uh, He was a fading major league player who his agent got him a job over there for good money. And uh, his experiences were, uh, were interesting because again, this had, this touched me a little bit uh, because in 1992, I went to Japan for the uh, major league baseball versus Japan stars series. They played eight games, just like they recently did this last November. And we televised for the prime network affiliates around the country. We televised by delay four of them. We televised the four. And I'm in Hong Kong for a few days. And I watched a couple of games and did some interviews. And then uh, we picked up all the stat sheets. We picked up all the videos. And then we headed to Hong Kong, of all places, where over a three-night period, uh, in a studio, we uh, laid down the, vo- the, the the play-by-play, actually, of the games, the four games that we did. We did that because of cost. It was cheaper to do it that way. We had the the network, NHK television network tapes. But in the research for all of this, I learned exactly how baseball was played. And I did a lot of reading and all this sort of stuff, all the books written about Japanese baseball. And so then when I saw Mr. Baseball, I related to it so 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 quickly that I just fell in love with it. And I, I still uh, will watch Mr. Baseball if, uh, if it shows up and I'm available. Uh, although I think I probably have it on the, the VHS cassette somewhere. But uh, it's, uh, it's a movie that I really enjoyed because I'm, you know, I'm prone to liking baseball movies anyway. Yeah, it's, that's another one of the ones in my blind spot. I haven't seen Mr. Baseball. You know, it's got Magnum P.I., so that's right right there. you got, you got to want to. He's wearing a Detroit Tiger cap <laughs> like he did in Magnum P.I. I think that's the team he played on in the majors before he goes to Japan, as I recall. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's a cool part of the story, too. Uh, my sixth movie is, boy, this one really grabbed me. saw it in a movie theater. I'll never forget Hoop Dreams, the, the great documentary. It was originally supposed to be a 30-minute short doc for PBS and... Greg, it's, just, it's one of the more unbelievable achievements in the documentary filmmaking. Director Steve James, he spends five years shooting this, 250 hours of footage. And as somebody who has shot and edited video for a living going on like 26 years now, I've got a little knowledge of what it had to you know, take to cut 250 hours of film into a three-hour narrative. And this film is 
perfect. It's about William Gates and Arthur Agee growing up in a Chicago ghetto. Just very compelling movie all the way through. And for most of the world, Greg, it took us to a place where we hadn't been and, and couldn't even imagine. Well, I've I've seen it and I really liked it. And so I can see where your direction is the ones you like the most because that's what you do. You do stuff like that, real stuff. And uh, so those impress you uh, a great deal. And, and that's one that's certainly worthy of it. Yeah. And it's, I, I just I still think it's one of the great sports stocks of all time. I mean, I, I don't think. There's any argument that many people thought, I mean, it was robbed. It should have it, somehow this thing did not get nominated for best documentary the year that it came out. It, it should have been, I thought, nominated because I, I saw a lot of the movies that year. It should have been nominated for best picture. And I remember Letterman hosting the Academy Awards and making jokes about the fact that, you know, Hoop Dreams wasn't there. I mean, everybody was like, how is this not nominated? And, and it was it was one of the more incredible things in Academy Award history, but just, uh, I mean, it was so impressive. I, I think even people that weren't sports fans appreciated uh, what this guy was able to do and to, to, to get that such an honest portrayal, you know, you, you, you just, you go in there and you film and sooner or later people start letting their guard down after years and years of doing this. He's doing this for over a four-year span, I, I think. Something I like that. think probably handicapped the same way comedy is sometimes with award ceremonies. There are people on those panels that are very serious. The drama. Uh, in other words, the dramatists. The comedy doesn't fit that. Sports. I don't watch sports. And they don't capture the fact that there were, it was dramatic because they're, the scenes of them playing basketball just turns them off or whatever it may be. I think that has a lot to do with why sports, sports related movies and comedy movies don't really do as well as they might in the, in award category. Yeah. And do, while documentaries, sometimes they should not be in the documentary category. Sometimes they just need to, they should be one of the best. And I've seen ones that I, I, I feel that way about what's number five on your list. Number five is League of Their Own. Penny Marshall, who just recently died, did a wonderful job with that. And once again, I had read a number of books about uh, the, uh, the women in baseball. And in fact, uh, when I was working in Peoria as a, uh, with a W uh, uh, MBD radio and television, I did Bradley University basketball. And my analyst, my partner, he wasn't really an analyst as much as a partner, was a guy named Leo Schrall. And Leo had been a professional baseball player. He'd been the baseball coach at Bradley for a while. And before that, he had actually been a manager in that league. Based on the Rockford Peaches, we should say. This was a PR, Yeah, this was, this was a team they had in Peoria later in the league. Girls baseball team. But the Rockford Peaches were, were the feature uh, team. And the, the, the league didn't last that many years. It was built originally to help the fact that their major league baseball owners, especially in the Midwest was where they were, were a little concerned about losing too many players to the war effort. It turned out they kept playing, but there was one concern that they might shut down major league baseball. So they had to have something else. They didn't, but Wrigley uh, uh, with the Cubs and some of the other people in the Midwest decided this to float this idea, and that's where it was going to start. And if it was successful, it would maybe go nationwide. It really pretty much stayed in Indiana, Illinois, and Iowa and Wisconsin. But uh, they, uh, uh, they were playing professional baseball, and the story was, again, one of those that was very true to what actually went on. Now, they made specific, you know, specific things happen in games and that they had, they had uh, fabricated as to who won a championship and the sister 
situation, but it was a it was a very uh, very fun movie I thought to watch, and I really enjoyed it. Starring Tom Hanks, and Hanks had he had done big with Penny Marshall a few years before that, and then his career there wasn't much going on uh, until that time. This was I believe this was done before uh, he hit with Philadelphia and Forrest Gump, and but League of Their Own, Tom Hanks, Gina Davis, Rosie O'Donnell, Bill Pullman, Laurie Petty. And Madonna, who would ever believe that one of the best sports movies would have Madonna as one of the stars of the film. But recently, within the last couple of years, I was doing a story on, I think it was either a Woodland softball, I think it was a Woodland softball player. And her granddaughter played in that league the Rock, with the Rockford Peaches. She wasn't portrayed or anything like that, but she played in that league. So, and of course, former Astro Casey Candell, his mother, uh, played in that that's league. Right, that's right. Uh, and of course, the most famous line that there's no crying in baseball. That was a Tom uh, Hanks line, and you'll still hear it. <laughs> Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Oh. Are you crying? <laughs> There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. <laughs> and he was loosely based, by the way, on Jimmy Fox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jimmy Fox actually managed that league, and Jimmy Fox... Uh, didn't at the beginning didn't have much of an attitude for it and tom didn't at the beginning his character but he he developed one he was fantastic in that uh, my number five uh, this was unreal oj made in america the five-part series from espn the 30 for 30 and greg this this was one of the great things i've ever seen period the the documentary on oj maybe like it should be higher on my list because it was it was so fantastic but this was riveting from beginning to end there's no writer that could have come up with something crazier than the O.J. story, the O.J. Simpson murder trial and everything leading up to it. And this movie does such a brilliant job of telling that story. And it's more than just, hey, we're going to move from one talking head to another. He does a great job of using the film in it and, and you see stuff and you, that, that you forget about. It was, it was so special. I saw it, but I have, a, I have such distaste for what O.J. did to himself. And I'm not even talking about the murders, which the miscarriage of justice was disgusting because I watched that trial daily. So the miscarriage of justice at the beginning, but even what he did to himself afterwards. I, so I watched it once and I'll never watch it again. I guess that's what I'm giving at. I, I thought it was well done, but that's it. I'm done. I don't, yeah. OJ don't care about. Yeah, OJ, OJ himself kind of soured you on, on the whole one. But if anybody hasn't seen it out there, you know, it's it's definitely worth uh, taking a, l- a look at. Uh, number We're at number four, four on your list. I've got Bull Dur- Durham as number four. This was just another classic case of what it was like, what it could be like in a particular minor league situation with some, uh, you know, Crash Davis, who was based on a real person, at least as far as a guy that had been in the minor leagues for a long time and hit a bunch of home runs, uh, but never really got a big shot. And uh, Nuke Lelouch, who was a phenom that uh, is supposedly going to have to make it. And then, of course, Susan Sarandon playing a groupie, a minor league groupie. And she had been one for years, and they exist. These are the ground rules. I hook up with one guy a season. Usually takes me a couple weeks to pick the guy. That's kind of my own spring training. And, well, you two are the most promising prospects of the season so far. So I just thought we should kind of get to know each other. Time out. Why do you get to choose? What? Why do you get to choose? I mean, why don't I get to choose? Why doesn't he get to choose? 
Well, actually, nobody on this planet ever really chooses each other. I mean, it's all a question of quantum physics, molecular attraction, and timing. She was good, and that's the movie where she meet, meets, uh, or the, I guess they, she starts the relationship, I think, with Tim Robbins, who'd become, <laughs> they would become uh, a couple for, for many years to come. And they got it right. They got the minor league stuff right from everybody, from what everybody said. And I mean, there's, you got the memorable quotes, uh, memorable stuff from that movie as well. But yeah, it, it was fantastic. My, my number four movie is The Karate Kid, the original Karate Kid, directed by. John Alvinson, and we're gonna, I'm going to mention his name again, starring Ralph Macchio, Pat Morita, Elizabeth Shue, and Martin Cove. Well, can you fix my leg? I mean, with that thing you do? No need fight anymore. <sighs> you prove a point. At what point? That I can take a beating? I mean, every time I see those guys, they're going to know they got the best of me. I'll never have balance that way. You know, this is a movie that comes out when I'm about 13 years old. And Karate Kid, Ralph Macchio, I related to him. You know, he was the skinny, scrawny kid like me. He was small. But, you know, this movie, I feel like, I don't know if somebody that's a full-on adult and it's later on, if they would get it as much. Did, did you like this movie? Did you well, see I watched, it? You know, I watched it. And I think I watched the, the follow-up, too. Uh, but, again, they were just entertaining movies for me. I, I thought uh, I liked uh, Pat Morita's character. I liked some of the things he was trying to teach him. And my wife, who is Asian, uh, grew up in uh, in Korea. She related to some of the things Machio was teaching because she said that's that's kind of the Buddhist way of thinking. Paint the fence yeah, and so she, wax the floor. Yeah, she, she, she enjoyed it. And I enjoyed it. I wouldn't put it in my top 10, but I, I, I mean, it's, it's not a movie that I would avoid and say, Ugh. Actually, though, I'm pretty easy. There's not too many movies I would say, bleh. Uh, (laughs) Some I'd watch and I'd say, that's fine. I mean, I've never come close to walking out of a movie in my life, and I never would, even if it was free. Uh, So, uh, yeah, no, I enjoyed The Karate Kid, and and I don't know what they called number two. Did you just call it Karate Kid 2 or Karate Kid? Yeah, they did Karate Kid 2. I enjoyed enjoyed both of them. They did a bunch of them. There's the new one with Will Smith's son. Yeah, I saw that one, too. So, you know, as I say, I don't personally have it in the top – group, but I, I certainly don't have anything negative to say about it. A couple of notes. If you love this movie, really recommend an oral history on SI.com We're from this past year. It's called The Crane Kick is Bogus, a Karate Kid oral history. The best scene in the movie, in my opinion, is the scene where Pat Morita's character, Miyagi, he's drunk. Daniel comes in to his house and, and, he, and he tells Daniel about how he lost his wife and his child during childbirth. Regret the inform wife. As is explained by Marita's family in this oral history, Marita connected with this story. When he was two years old, Marita himself broke his back. He contracted spinal tuberculosis, spent the next nine years in an infirmary. He was raised by white doctors and nurses. And when he was 11 years old, he was reunited with his parents who were in a Japanese internment camp in Arizona. And also they made his wife in the movie Yuki. And that's Pat Morita's real wife is, is, is named Yuki as well. So uh, you have all that. And then also another note, as fans of the movie know, you can see Ralph Macchio and William Zabka who played uh, his karate rival Johnny in the movie and the series Cobra Kai on YouTube Red. They pick up the story of their characters today. And Greg, I watched the first two episodes. 
I wasn't expecting a whole lot. And it was surprisingly extremely fun. And it was an interesting twist of that story. Um, I want to see the rest of it. There's 10 of them. You got to pay for the rest. <laughs> Those two were free. <laughs> so I haven't seen the rest of it. But I, at some point, I'm going to break down and probably want to watch the rest of this movie. But, you know, like everybody my age at the time had a huge crush on Elizabeth Shoot. I mean, crush for not just for then and for years and years past that. I mean, Machio, you know, that was his. It's interesting because can't even tell you anything else he was in except for the Karate Kid movies. But, you know, it sort of made his life. I mean, I even watched him when he was on uh, Dancing with the Stars and he's likable. When you fall to Dancing with the Stars, your career is usually in a little shaky uh, situation. So, yeah, that, that made sense. Uh, number three for you. We're getting down to the top three. Uh, well, my number three is Major League. I am uh, caving into comedy here on that one, but that one was just too good. I, I think the characters in it were outstanding. The concept was interesting about uh, the owner, <laughs> the owner trying to not win so that uh, she can sell the team for, you know, get out of it. Uh, and Is that uh, what Drayton was doing? Well, <laughs> he, that's why it's funny because obviously uh, there's, there's a relationship to that. He was trying to clear the deck so it would sell for more money, but uh, he wasn't necessarily trying to lose because they still, they, they still signed these marginal veterans to make the team look representative on the team. They didn't go all the way down as the, uh, the new regime did when they first took over. So, uh, but it just had a lot of great characters in it. I mean, uh, Charlie Sheen and his prime. Charlie Sheen, and you've got, I don't know, he's Dominican. He's supposed to be a Dominican hitter that's great. And they got the Willie Mays Hayes, and they've oh, yeah, got Willie Mays, uh, Hayes. Uh, the grizzled vet at third base, Corbin Burnson. Tom Berenger's in the movie, Rene Russo. Uh, Bob Euchre does a, he's, he, he, he does your job. Vaughn, a juvenile delinquent in the offseason in his major league debut. Vaughn into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Ball four. Ball eight. Low and Vaughn has walked the bases loaded on 12 straight pitches. Boy, how can these guys lay off pitches that close? As an announcer, everything he did you related to. You know, he's, he's overemphasizing for the, the team how great it is and how wonderful it is. He's got a, a color announcer who he thinks is wonderful because he doesn't say anything. Uh, and every lead announcer has thought stuff like that when his, when his partner gets a little bit wordy, uh, that how great it would be to have had uh, Euchre's partner. He was playing himself as a comedian. Now, if you listen to Bob Euchre doing uh, Brewers baseball, he'll have some humorous little notes in there. But basically, he's a professional baseball announcer. And when he's in movies... He is a caricature of them, and he knows how to do it, and he does it great. Two movies that you mentioned uh, have Dennis Haysbert in Haysbert, it. Haysbert, uh, yeah. He plays Pedro Serrano in Major League, and he was also in Mr. Baseball. And they also had a, a couple of ball players in the movie, Steve Yeager, Pete Vukovic. Yeah, Vukovic played the—he actually was a pitcher in real life, but he played the slugging first baseman in this uh, in the movie. Willie Mays Hayes, play, of course, by Wesley, played by Wesley Snipes, so— my number three, oh, this, this one's got to be on your list, uh, Greg. Uh, you're from Kokomo, Indiana. This is it. Hoosiers. I got Hoosiers at my number three, uh, directed by David Anspa, Gene Hackman, Barbara Hershey, Dennis Hopper. I mean, the cast is incredible. I'll be talking about that one next. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I do. I have it on there. Uh, again, another movie that was based on a true incident and a true team, but 
very similar to the Glory Road uh, basketball story. It was everything squeezed together into one year, and it didn't happen in one year. As a matter of fact, the Milan team, which won the title, the small school, they had actually been to the Final Four the year before. Did you know Texas Western had been to the uh, Final Four the year before, too? Uh, it, it, so it wasn't as much a surprise. They changed everything about this. If you read about it, there's just so, the only thing that's true is that Milan won. So when you watch the movie, you just have to – don't think of it as I don't know if you can really think of it as oh this is well, this great true story but it, you just have to go with okay it's it's a cool story yeah the coach was not a grizzled old guy who'd been thrown out of other places he was actually very young and he coached for many years uh, Marwin Wood was his real name uh, Joy Chitwood was the real person was named Bobby Plum yeah Jimmy Chitwood Bobby uh, Jimmy Plum. Chitwood he's still around I play coach stays he goes I go. He later went to Butler University, was a great player there, played a little bit in the National Industrial Basketball League, and he still goes to Butler home games. Yeah, my close friend uh, Andy Rio, I think I told you this a, a few months ago, he, you know, he's been a regular on my Locked On Texans podcast. Long, I mean, we've been friends for, shoot, quarter century, and he met Plump recently, ate at the restaurant his son owns in Indianapolis. The restaurant, of course, is called Plump's Last Shot. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, and that and he it. said... Plump just walked over to his table and asked him how the meal was. And the next thing you know, he's like, oh, my, my, name's, my name's Bobby Plump. <laughs> uh, you know me more as. Yeah, but uh, he's there. Uh, one of the guys that was on that team uh, was an educator down here in Houston for a long time. The fact that they were a surprise, a tiny little school winning the tournament. In those days in Indiana, there was one class basketball. But the way the tournament ran, everybody was in the tournament. Everybody, like in your region, if you had eight, six high schools kind of around, they'd all be in what they called the sectional. The winner of the sectional would go to a regional, and a regional would be winner of sectional regionals, and then you'd win the regional. And then if you win the regional, you would go to the semi-state, and then you're down to the last eight teams. And the winner of the semi-state would go to the final four, and the final four would then have – actually, they, they wore out these kids. They played a game, two games in the afternoon – and the winners of those two games met that night for the championship. But it was one, one the class basketball. I, I don't want to age you any, Greg, but this was 1954. Do you remember this story when it happened? No, I was, I was alive, but no, I don't remember when it happened. I was conscious of things about 19, just a few years later. But, uh, yeah, I was not conscious of when it happened. But, uh, I, you know, obviously we all heard about it and the, the, the great story of them. And, and the interesting thing is they beat Muncie. Uh, I believe it was Muncie they really beat. In the, in the movie, they have them beating a team from South Bend. Here's another trivia note in that movie. The man in the movie who was coaching the South Bend team, his name was Ray Crow. He was Oscar Robertson's high school coach. And he's a brother of Ray Crow, who was a Major League Baseball first baseman for many years. But uh, they had him play the coach of the uh, the losing team in that final game. I think Gene Hackman's performance as, as a coach is just – he's spot on. I mean, this is like a lot of these sports movies that I have on my list. I mentioned Field of Dreams, uh, Karate Kid. You, you start watching this, you're flipping channels, and it's on, and you start watching it, and it sucks you in. And my top three or four movies, every single one of them – there's not any wasted motion. Every scene leads to something. It's moving towards something. Also, Hoosiers, as well as my next two movies coming up, the soundtrack, uh, so important. I mean, the soundtrack, just you are pulled along by the soundtrack throughout. I've, I've got 
a lot of these on my iPod. I listen to them. I mean, they're just incredible. And uh, the soundtrack to Hoosiers, the great Jerry Goldsmith did Hoosiers. Hoosiers uh, is still a a big deal in Indiana. Uh, The Indiana Pacers, at least last year, I don't know if they did it this year, but they wore the uniform of the... Oh, uh, yeah. No, I've seen that. It's great. Yeah, they, They wore that. And there are high school games that are played in that gym in which that represented the gym of the, uh, of the fake school, but they still play gym, games there because it's, it's historic to go play on that gym that they had that they filmed that. But obviously Hackman was great. His love interest situation didn't exist. He didn't have a drunken assistant coach. And Jack Nicholson, of course, was nominated for Academy Award for his role. Hopper, Hopper, or Hopper. I said, Jack, Dennis Hopper. They're, but they're, they're Jack buddies. Nicholson, Dennis Hopper, easy rider. They're yeah, all together. They were buddies. Yeah, yeah, they were they're buddies. All together. Uh, yeah, Dennis Hopper. He uh, he won the uh, uh, nominated for the Academy Award for being a, a fictitious character, but he did it very well. <laughs> he did it very well. What has my drinking got to do with my knowledge about basketball? You can't drink in front of these boys. If I uh, smell even a trace of liquor on your breath, you'd be finished. You're embarrassing your son. I'd like you to leave now. Maybe because I grew up there, but I, I really enjoy that movie, and I'll, I'll watch that usually. Uh, it comes on every basketball season. I'll probably catch it sometime. Number two on your list is, 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 is it Hoosiers? It's number two is Hoosiers, yeah. My number two is Rudy, directed by, again, David Anspaugh, same, same person that directed Hoosiers. Soundtrack, again, by Gary, Jerry Goldsmith, also written by the same guy, Angelo Pizzo. Th- these guys knew what they were doing. They knew how to make these movies. And to me, Rudy, it's it's almost perfect. It's just the way the movie moves along. It, it's beautiful, uh, starring uh, Sean Astin, Ned Beatty, Charles Dutton, most notably. It was John Favreau's first big role. It was Vince Vaughn's big screen debut. Um, and as most fans know, they became friends and would later collaborate on the classic film Swingers, which is one of my favorites also. The rest, as they say, is history. But here's the deal. Here's my story, Greg, with uh, Rudy. So when I used to work in Little Rock and News, we got to interview Rudy Rudiger himself. So I met him. And after you meet him, you go, yeah, that's that guy is the same. It's the same guy. He's, you know, there's the attitude and everything like that. And he was telling us, he was like, yeah, you know, people don't believe it. You know, most of it is true, but he was telling us where the facts, where he had to turn things around because he said it it wouldn't, it's too long to tell in a movie and I can't tell this. But the the one thing that uh, is maybe not fair, and it's because this guy coached at my uh, university, the University of Missouri, Dan Devine, he gets to be the villain in the movie, which really wasn't the case from what I understand. And the whole scene where they're all putting the jersey. That that's definitely a movie scene where they're putting the jerseys on. But the the guy ended up playing. He was he was carried off the field at the end of the movie. You see the black and white shot of the real Rudy getting carried off the field. I mean, I can't even express how much I love this movie, and I can listen to that soundtrack over and over again. It's just it, it is one of the best soundtracks ever. Well, Rudy is one of my football movies. I had a mark next to that I didn't put in the list. But, yes, I, I enjoyed Rudy. Most of those people, or many of those people you talked about, worked on both that one and Hoosiers, actually had an Indiana background. And that's part of the reason. They they knew. Of course, Rudy grew up in Chicago, but Notre Dame and Chicago are 100 miles apart. They're not very far apart uh, off of northern Indiana. And, it, it it no, I enjoyed that movie a great deal, again, because it was based on – real 
Uh, and uh, if they can base something, if there's something in there they based on reality, I tend to like them even more. You're five feet nothing, a hundred and nothing, and you got hardly a speck of athletic ability. And you hung in with the best college football team in the land for two years. And you're also going to walk out of here with a degree from the University of Notre Dame. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. And after what you've gone through, if you haven't done that by now, it ain't going to never happen. It's one of those movies that, you know, you could go, oh, this is, it's too sappy or whatever, but it's inspirational. When I watch the movie, it helps me like in my life to, you know, you, you understand you got to fight through a lot of adversity. Well, and, and Rudy is a, is a common thread. I mean, there are Rudy's almost every year. It's a football game, there's always some guy that gets in the last play of the last home game that's not gotten in for four years. There almost always is. Now, they may not have the same story, backstory that Rudy did, but that's what all these guys can relate to. He got in. He got to play for the A&M Aggies or whatever it may be. I mean, the Aggies, back when the 12th man was a big deal on kickoff returns, that's what they all were. They were all walk-ons that the dream was to wear that Aggie uniform and, and get on the field, and and uh, Jackie Sherrill was able to figure out a way to do it. So. That's uh, no, I, I I truly enjoyed Rudy as well. Now you want my number one? What's number one? This is when I deviate from what I've been saying all along about I like movies that are based on truth because my number one is The Natural, not based on truth at all. <laughs> uh, there was no such player, but I I like it again. There's a connection to it. First place I announced professional baseball was in that same stadium, War Memorial Stadium in Buffalo where they played their home games in the movie. And so I, and it's gone now. They've totally torn it down. But I still have some old pictures uh, of what it looked like. It was the same stadium that the uh, Buffalo Bills originally played in. It had the foot, uh, ba- baseball field kind of stuck down in the corner. And because it was stuck down in the corner, r- right field was quite short. Left field and center field were pretty much normal, but right field was fairly short. And uh, it... Uh, well, it was exactly the way it was in the movie, actually. They had it set up exactly the same way. And so I related to that. Plus, the story is good. Uh, the, the story itself is good, even though it's it's implausible and unbelievable and not realistic. It was a good story. And it's always been my number one baseball movie. And being a baseball guy, first and foremost, it is thus my number one sports movie. Where'd you get this? I made it myself from a tree near home. Wonder Boy. Put that on there? What does it mean? Made it a long time ago when I was a kid. I wanted it to be a very special bat. How about this? It's lightning bolt. The tree that I made it from was split open by lightning. Don't figure this. All those years and you never played organized baseball? Well, I sort of got sidetracked. Yeah, it incorporates Ted Williams because... You know, he wants to be the greatest hitter that ever, you know, they incorporate that part of the story. I mean, Robert Redford is perfect in it. Uh, Glenn Close, Robert Duvall, the cast is unreal. Now, Robert there were Duvall. ideas that came from other places, like the natural Roy Hobbs getting actually shot by an adoring fan, because that actually happened. Eddie Waitkiss was shot in Chicago by an adoring fan. That happened. Eddie was never that great a player, but he came back and played. So the person who was putting it together took that. The Whammer was basically Babe Ruth. 
that he struck out that time down in uh, on the minors or in the sand lots or whatever it was. That was Babe Ruth on a on a on a tour around the place. So the author picks people that are fictitious, but you know who he's referring to, and uh, that was good. But the basic story was a little unbelievable. This was without a doubt. It was in my honorable mention. It was real tough to leave this off the list. Directed by. Barry Levinson, who had I loved Levinson back in the '80s. He had a great run. Diner is one of my favorite movies. I, Rain Man is fantastic. I mean, he he was a brilliant director, and he just was making one great movie after another at that time. Uh, my number one, oh, the original. You know, we've talked about Hoosiers and we talked about Rudy, but this was the movie that started everything. Rocky, the original Rocky. Not two, not three, not four, not five. The original Rocky, directed by John Alvidson, the same guy that would later direct uh, Karate Kid. That guy knew how to tell a story. He won the Oscar for Best Director. Stallone, you know, his story is ridiculous. He, he writes the script after watching the 1975 Muhammad Ali-Chuck Wepner fight. After he watches it, and Greg, you probably know this, he wrote the script. And the great story about Stallone was he bet his life on his ability to star in this movie because the studio said, here, here's $360,000 for the script, but we want somebody else to play Rocky. We don't want you to play Rocky. We love the story. We don't want you. And Stallone said, no, I'm going to make this movie. I want, I want to be in it. I'm the perfect guy for it. And of course he was there. You can't imagine anybody else doing what he did. And Stallone just owns it and made a entire life out of, you know, playing the role. But, you know, at the time he had no car, he had $106 in the bank. He sold his dog apparently to pay the bills. And Stallone has told this story. So you got to, you know, and, and he ends up with nine Oscar nominations. It wins best picture just and all he had done up to unreal. that point he had played a, a kind of a greaser a street punk in a in a couple of movies and there were some said that he did some other movies too i don't know but but he wasn't famous at that point and so the studios were they were going to want somebody more famous and uh obviously he turned out to be perfect for that role i i gotta be i, I mean i've seen rocky but i've never been a big i i've never been a huge fan of boxing i mean i announced it for a while and maybe that's why i'm even less of a fan of it uh i liked somebody up there likes me probably even because that was more of a that was real i mean rocky was based on wepner he was basically what if wepner won was that paul newman somebody up there uh, yeah he and he played uh, rocky graciano and uh it's a good movie i've seen that it, one. It, it's and that's true but it's true it's a true movie because i remember rocky graciano when he was i i first learned of Rocky Graciano when he was the straight man on a comedy show. And it's not, uh, I'm not Dinah sure. It was, it was a comedy show that was on TV. It was a night, nighttime show. And, uh, I didn't even know at that time he'd been a boxer, but then I read about him and I saw the movie and, uh, I, I, I like that one better. But of course, every movie we have mentioned, I must admit both, both of them, both movies, I've seen them all. And I didn't think I and you know, I'm beating you on some of these. And I thought I didn't really pay that much attention, but I guess I have. Uh, I bet you haven't seen Alibi Ike. No, that, I, don't even, I don't even know if I've heard of that one. Okay, well, that's with Joe E. Brown. He was uh, a very athletic actor and comedian at the time, most famous for playing uh, in Some Like It Hot. He played the rich uh, playboy type guy, rich older playboy in that movie. But... Uh, 
I have a lot of other ones on here on my list that I, I think are interesting, but they couldn't have made the top 10, but they're movies that I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed watching. And uh, even the infamous fear strikes out, which is poorly acted, but again, it's based on the true life of Jimmy Pearsall, the Monty Stratton story, Pride of St. Louis, Tizzy Dean. Yeah. There's a lot of the old ones that show up usually every, uh, every summer or on uh, T- TMC or, or some of the other channels that uh, I'll, I'll still, they'll still catch me watching couple last notes on Rocky. There's a documentary. I was just reading about this, Greg, before we talked. Called It's called 40 Years of Rocky, The Birth of a Classic. Apparently, it's due for release this coming year, and Sylvester Stallone handpicked the director, and he's going to add commentary. So I'm really looking forward to that one. And also, the again, I got to go to the score. These move For whatever reason, these sports movies inspire these just brilliant scores. You know, you wonder... If you had heard the music, would they be as inspirational when you listen to them later? I kind of feel like they would have, but Bill Conti does it. It was actually Talia Shire's brother, David. Talia, of course, who plays Adrian uh, in the movie, his his girlfriend and later wife. She He was originally supposed to score the film, but he turned it down because of prior commitments. And then, of course, Conti not only did this one, but he later scored The Karate Kid. And, you know, I dare you to listen to the soundtrack and... You know, and not want to, you know, run up a hill or something like that because it's it's just so fantastic. But my most memorable lines in Rocky, my favorite one is when Apollo Creed comes back to his corner early in the fight after Rocky has proven that, you know, he belongs in the ring with them. And Apollo's trainer says, He doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. Finish this bum and let's go home. In my honorable mentions, Greg, The Hustler. Oh, Paul Newman. Jackie Gleason, Piper Laurie, George C. Scott. I guess that's a sports movie. I, I that's that's close, but because there's because pool is is centered around it. But I guess that's a sports movie. Okay. I hope I hope it's uh, pool is sports because that was one of my things when I was okay. It's a true story. I don't think I've ever told this on the show before. When I'm 12 years old, I asked my mom, "Can I get some pool lessons?" And I I loved it. I grew up with the pool table just a few feet from my room. She says, "Sure." We end up going somewhere, and I end up getting pool lessons from this woman named Ann Mays. She's one of the top 10 women in the world. This was at a bar in Houston, and she ends up living with us for a while. And then I would go out with her. This is when I was 12, 13 years old for about a year. I would go out with her to bars at night. She would take me. She'd pretend to be my mom so I could get into these bars and, you know, I'd play in free tournaments. And a couple of times I played with money for some, with somebody, but I was not good. I was not. <laughs> I was not good under the under the pressure. I was not good in the clutch. I, I don't know how my mother uh, trusted me, but she's entrusted her. But I was out till go out. I'd be out till one o'clock in the morning a lot of times, and you know, mom was okay with it. And God bless my mother. But I mean, I was an unusual kid anyway, so that m- might have a lot to do with it. But you mentioned Bull Durham. That's on my list. Here, here's one sixty one. How about that? That's HBO, true. That's HBO true. Film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, some that we've not mentioned at all. And here's one we have not mentioned at all. And somebody out there is saying, you got to be kidding. We have not mentioned in any category up to this point, Caddyshack. No, actually, I'm a rich millionaire. You see, my doctor told me to get out and carry golf bags a couple of times a week. Uh, you're a funny kid, you know. Yeah, what time you do back in Boys Town? <laughs> Embarrassed to say this, it's one of my movies that I haven't seen. Caddyshack, The Longest Yard, Chariots of Fire. You have not seen the, either either of the longest yards. There were two no, of them. No, I haven't seen well, either one. The first one, one is better, I think. Yeah, but uh, uh, the they tried to remake it. There's a movie called Victory that people say is great, a soccer movie. I have also on my list of 
honorable mentions, I want to mention some documentaries because there's been the 30 for 30. They've done a lot of spectacular ones. The ones that stick out for me on the 30 for 30, the U, which was the Miami Hurricanes documentary, the 85 Bears, just outstanding. That was, you know, on the 85 championship and it was kind of set around Buddy Ryan. It was interesting and ended up being very poignant, which you you weren't expecting and then, uh, you know, you wouldn't like this one, but it's another one of their OJ ones. It's called June 17th, 1994, and it takes you through that entire day. And for Rockets fans, you know, they'll get a lot out of that because, you know, you see the the Rockets game, you know, they're playing in the finals against the Knicks that day and, and that night as the OJ chase is going on. And so that's part of the documentary. But Yeah, the documentaries actually almost go in a different class anyway because they're not really movies. They're I mean, they're movie length, but they're they're closer to news. Uh, than than an actual movie, but you're right. I mean that that's not downgrading them. It's just like I'm not going to downgrade a pool, except I put that in the game class more than the athletic class. I put it almost more in the class of chess. I mean, there's little more physical stuff to it, but there's it's a game for sure. Uh, so I'm that's just my the way I organize things in my brain. That's not to say the movie wasn't a very good movie because it was. I just never thought of it as a sports movie. It's a games movie, I guess, if you want to say that. But actually, it's more of the people. It's the, it's more of the characters. Uh, we haven't mentioned uh, Paper Lion. There's another. I don't. I, I might have dropped that in. I'm not sure. North Dallas Forty. That's another movie that is uh, very popular. I have not we, seen that, that that one either. North Dallas Forty is loosely based on the Dallas Cowboys, but it's uh, it's you know it's not. But it's based on a lot of the characters. Peter. Gent wrote it, and he was a former wide receiver for the Cowboys. Water Boy, silly. The Junction Boys, the the movie about uh, the Aggies and Bear Bryant. Friday Night Lights, didn't mention that one. Uh, I, I the Blind Side, We Are Marshall. These are football ones that we didn't yeah, talk but about. I saw The Blind Side. It was frustrating because it was it was set in Memphis, and I, I lived there, and I, I didn't feel like there was a lot of accuracy in it. Probably actually shot in Atlanta, and they were if it was. If it was said in Memphis, they, a lot of those movies are being done in Atlanta, and they say they make it look like somewhere else. On the baseball ones, we didn't mention the one Costner movie for the love of the game. Yeah, that was the third of his. I call um, it his trilogy of baseball films. That was, Eight Man Out. That was another outstanding. Yeah, movie. That, that was really good. That that should be on my honorable uh, mention. Raging Bull. I mean, it's yeah, Raging considered Bull. one of the AFI American Film Institute's top 100 movies. Uh, Jackie Robinson. There were two that are interesting. There's there's 42, which is the newer one. And then there's the Jackie Robinson movie. And the reason the Jackie Robinson movie was unique, it was done at about 1948. And he the lead role was played by Jackie Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, his wife was played by the same woman that played his mother in 42. See, I would, if with Jackie, it's, maybe it's just because I'm such a, you know, he's a hero of mine. But, you know, to me, I would say go see the Ken Burns documentary. I mean, uh, But that's documentary. Again, I, I mean, that, that whole thing. If I, we'd listed that, I would have said baseball the ken burns documentary but that's a documentary I'd, I'd put that in a different class it's tough because there's a lot of good sports movies if anybody's listening and they're like why didn't you mention that just email us info at houstonsportstalk.net we'd love to hear from you before before i let you go greg is there anything uh you're working on these days well i'm working on the, uh, the final editing of the uh, of a book called astros legends it's going to be out sometime in the spring. It's part of a series because I have a friend of mine that's uh, written the Yankee uh, version, and I, I I weep for him because it's you know he, cutting the Yankee legends down to a 
reasonably sized book. It's, it's got to be some kind of a job. The Astros, at least, beginning with the Colt 45s, have only been around for 57 years, so it's a, a little bit easier. Uh, but it basically encompasses, in this particular case, 103 uh, entries. And a legend is not necessarily, as you might think, Jeff Bagwell, Craig Biggio, Jose Altuve. No, we're not talking about players necessarily. There will be players that are involved, but there are also games. There will also be uh, uh, incidents that happen. I'll tell you one, for instance. One Astros legend is the famous game in which Jerry Goff uh, had six passed balls in Montreal. He had a home run and a single in that game, but his passed balls were so bad that he was released the next day. Uh, Jerry Goff was a catcher. Uh, Jerry Goff, okay, he played professional baseball for 11 years. The story goes on. And then there's a little little, little insert. Jerry Goff is, in fact, Jared Goff's father, the famous, the great quarterback with the Los Angeles Rams. So the point make, being made at some point in here is at least uh, Jared figured it out. It's better to throw the ball than to try to catch it. Yeah, you buried the lead with that, Jerry yeah, Goff's really did. dad. No, well, that was the point. The legend for the Astros was Jerry Goff setting a major league record with six pass balls in one game. He tied a major league record. And then you go through his record, and at the end you point out, yeah, but uh, you'll remember the name Goff, probably not for this record, but because of this. That's one. I mean, that's a mini one. Most of them are the big stuff, like the first no-hitter ever pitched by the Houston club, uh, Nolan Ryan's fifth no-hitter, uh, game two of the World Series last year. In 17, game five of the World Series, the winning game that won them all, which is the number one legend as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it was not a very good game, but it was it won a World Series. And, uh, and of course, Altuve and, and all these great players. There's 103 entrants, and the reason there are 103 is because that is a legend in itself, the most wins the team has ever had in a single season. And uh, the Yankee thing, the number he picked, I don't know because uh, – uh, <laughs> He he just he's got he's have if he had 103 he's going to have to really cut him, and uh, so it'll be fun book. And then I'm also thinking of one that has nothing to do with anything here uh, about the uh, golden era of sports in Honolulu. I lived there during this period, and uh, when they had the minor league team that was outstanding and packed the house and World Football League tried out to to, to live there, and and the uh, even the American Basketball League was there, and the University of Hawaii was just starting to become major big time in pro sports. And right now, or not pro sports, but well, in some cases, as Tom Henderson would tell me, maybe close to pro sports, because Tom played there, and of course, then he played for the Rockets years later. And I asked him about those years, and he says, "Well, yeah, there were some benefits." Uh, one of the coaches, assistant coaches, was a guy named Rick Patino, so he might know about benefits. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it was an interesting uh, era, and I'm toying with writing that book. But the problem is it's 40-some years ago, and, and uh, some of the people I need to talk to aren't alive anymore. And so it's doing a lot of research on the, on the newspapers to see if I've got a book or not. But I'm looking forward to getting the Astro one out, and I'd like to get it out as soon as we can, early part of the uh, uh, spring, and uh, just add it to the list of many Astro books on the market now. Used to not be any, but now there's all sorts of them. Yeah, go find Greg's other work. And well, uh, that's yeah, the one that's out there now and still available in uh, some Barnes and Noble bookstores. I know the one near here; it still is. It's uh, Houston to Cooperstown, the Houston Astros, Biggio and Bagwell years. It's not really just about those years, but it focuses on those. And and it, those of you who still want to argue about Bagwell and 
did he use anything or not. There's some pretty definitive writing and some sources in that book on that chapter that uh, will tell you no. Uh, I want to add one thing to that. There's a gentleman writing a book on Ken Caminiti who, who asked me some stuff after my book was done. And he said, um, yeah, I know the guy that supplied the, got the stuff to Caminiti, the, the, the PEDs. And he said he knew Bagwell. And my heart is in my chest right now. And then I think he paused for dramatic effect, knowing it would, my heart would go in my chest because he continued. He said, and he's pretty sure Bagwell never used anything. That's good to hear. <laughs> yeah, That's that was good. from the guy that supplied Ken Caminiti his PEDs. So uh, I wrote it that way in the book, but to hear that confirmation afterwards just made me feel so much better. And so anyway, that book's still out there if you're of a mind. Always fun to talk to you, Greg. Thanks so much for doing this. This was a blast. It was great to have you here to our ping pong stadium here at the house too, so we could do this and it's always good to talk to you. Yeah, we did this one in person, so pretty unusual. <laughs> Here it's chaos. Rocky, you went the distance. You went the 15 rounds. How do you feel? All right. And Fuller, what are you thinking about when that buzzer's on uh, for that line? Adrian! What do you think about when the 15th round when you're coming out? Thanks again for listening, and if you're new to the show, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. You can keep up with this show and my daily Locked On Texans podcast on Twitter and Facebook or by going to HoustonSportsTalk.net or LockedOnTexans.com. Adrian! Adrian! Rocky! Adrian! Rocky! Hey, Adrian, hi. I love you!